Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And of course, joining me is my co-host, James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over on USA Today. Jay, we took a week off to kind of just, you know, relax and recharge. And now we are back and better than ever. And I'm really excited to talk about, you know, the future of this team as well as what to look forward to in terms of the, you know, mini camps and training camp and all that kind of stuff, as well as talk about some, uh, you know, juicy NFL rumors that we got over this, over the last couple of days, uh, courtesy of uh, Uncle Shea, Shea Sharp over there on Undisputed. <laughs> Shea gonna get him, <laughs> as he would say. <laughs> yeah, uh, Unc, uh, he uh, spilled some beans on uh, Fox Sports Undisputed there, man. FS1 Undisputed more specifically. Which was interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of people made a, a lot of that. Um, you know, did he inform Julio if they were on TV? You, you would have to think so. I, I hope he did beforehand. I think he's smarter than that. But yeah, man, I'm glad to be back. Uh, glad to talk about Jags here. We got some things to talk about in terms of, uh, you know, heading into training camp and getting people prepared for the preseason. Before the preseason, I guess we're a little step ahead. As you said, we took a little one week uh, break, if you will, because the draft was so taxing, man. Like it was just the lead up and the build up, despite us knowing we were going to get Trevor Lawrence, uh, that made it even worse. Probably, you know what I'm saying? Okay. They're getting Trevor Lawrence, but who are they getting with them and how are they going to fix the rest of the team is what it became a big deal about. So, uh, we're back, uh, recharge ready, uh, to get, get to work. And, uh, as always appreciate all the support we've been getting in terms of the rating, the commenting and the subscribing. That is correct, folks. And if you are enjoying the show and you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you haven't yet, head on over there to leave a five-star review. Let us know that we're good, doing a good job. We really appreciate it. It's one of the best ways you can support the show. We are also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us on Believe.com as part of that awesome Believe podcast library. You can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod as well as find it on Instagram at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I, P-I-N-O, and you can find Jay at sportsgrind underscore Dawn. And before we get started, we have to give a special shout out to this week's sponsor, which of course is Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online is you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And Jay, you better believe that I am over on Bet Online making some money off of my Dallas Mavericks, who are, as of the time of recording, are up 2-0 on those Los Angeles Clippers. They wanted the smoke, Jay. The Clippers wanted the smoke, and the Mavericks are delivering. And Luca, Luca Legend is up there dapping up Patrick Mahomes, 
you know, hanging out with Dirk Nowitzki on the sideline. The, the, the heart of a champion is instilled within Luca. Then we also have to give a shout out to your guy, Trey Young. You know, as of right now, they are in game two. The, the, the Hawks do lead the New York Knicks. You know, former Dallas Maverick Trey Young, of course, as we as we know, you know, Dallas Maverick legend Trey Young. We, we of course, are, are always rooting for him as well. So, man, between your Hawks and my Mavericks, it's nice to have a team that's, you know, winning. That, that's, a, that's a weird feeling. Yeah, we don't get a lot of that in the football world, right? Well, I mean, I guess technically the Georgia Bulldogs do win, but they always choke when it matters the most. <laughs> so, I mean, we they, talk they, about my Longhorns, so. Yeah, they, they win, but uh, when it comes to the big stage, you know, sometimes they don't do the best, but still love them to death. But, yeah, man, like, it's been exciting to watch a, a team that's just full of life and, and doing what the Hawks are doing, putting on for the city of Atlanta. Um, like you said, Trey Young hit the buzzer beater at Madison Square Garden. What a way to start off and like get your confidence going. Like that's one of those momentum things that could carry you a long way. Like your first playoff game, you're in the garden or you're in Madison Square Garden, should I say. You are one of the youngest teams, if not the youngest team in the playoffs. And uh, you go out there and, and you make it happen on your first game against a Knicks team who, albeit they, they are in the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Uh, but you go out there against the Knicks team in a, har- uh, a hostile environment, it's spikely there. Uh, I think the uh, the Rappaport guy was there and so on and so forth. You go out there and uh, you have success that the way you did. You get off to a 1-0 start. You get a W at the away venue or at the away Coliseum or however you want to put it, which is huge in the NBA playoffs, as we all know. And, I mean, what a way to start on trade. Trey's part and what a way to start on the Hawks part man I hope we can keep it up yeah man Trey Young ice in his veins love love him going into Madison Square Garden and silencing that crowd again like you said you know and it's it's interesting because Madison Square Garden is a location that is well known for rooting other superstars and you know now of course they're back in the playoffs so maybe we won't see that as much but like the crowd at Madison Square Garden has always been well known for really, really rooting for really great performances. And now, of course, I guess since the stakes are higher they're you know, they're over that. They're not going <laughs> to really, really do that anymore. But hey, shout out to the Knicks, man. I mean, they've been so bad for so long and they got Derek Rose out there, you know, having a little bit of a career resurgence over the last couple of years. Julius Randle won most improved player. Really, really great. I, uh, Jay, you me and Boogie were talking about this earlier. Those all those um, L.A. Lakers that were kind of sent out of L.A. because LeBron came in, you know, are, are thriving now. They're doing pretty good. <laughs> those guys would make a pretty good team. When you talk about Julius Randle, you know, of course, Kyle Kuzma, he's still there. But if you talk about Randle, Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Jordan Clarkson, all those guys are thriving outside of L.A. <laughs> yeah, good for them, man. I know, like, Lonzo Ball was the one I got to see a few times, like, actually watching on TV. Uh, so, yeah, man, like, he, he looked good. And as you said, Julius Randle out there thriving, you know, he kind of got off to a little shaky start uh, in game one against the Hawks. But, you know, he started to calm down and find his own a little bit. And, uh, yeah, man, like, he just just good on him and good on his part to be the most improved player uh, in the NBA, man. I, I like seeing his son bring him the award. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, I did see that. That was cool. So that was pretty dope, man. So, I mean, like, you know, while they were saying F Trey Young, man, uh, you know, the, I, I will say their fan base, you know, has been hungry. Uh, we could relate to that as Jags fans. And, you know, they they deserve, you know, to to be in a uh, a, a nice 
matchup as this one is, you know, they deserve to witness that firsthand despite, you know, how they kind of came off the trace. So it's going to be an interesting series. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, again, it's, it's also nice to see fans in the stadium again, even though they're not 100, at 100%, although we did get news that pretty much all NFL teams have gotten the go-ahead to go with, uh, you know, full capacity this upcoming year, which will be really, really fun to see. Of course, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, Jay, Eric and I are first-time season ticket holders, so we're really, really excited about that. Um, but, yeah, you know, of course, we had to we had to shout out our basketball teams because the playoffs are, are going on right now, and like I said, both of our teams are thriving. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah, and by the way, man, there's nothing wrong with the hostile environment, by the way, that uh, I'm with D. Rose on this, that the – uh, that has been presented at Madison Square Garden, by the way, man. Like, that's that's basketball for you. That's what it's supposed to be, man. Like, you're supposed to go into a, a opposing venue where people like you. It's not supposed to be that way. And, you know, like, that's what we grew up on, like a tougher basketball sport. Uh, I can remember, like, looking at, like, back in the day and looking at documentaries of MJ when he was younger, getting, like, physically beat up out there. He didn't look like the Michael Jordan that we we – knew and loved by the end of his career. He went in there, started hitting them weights, man. And then, you know, he became Yeah, he, he became to get tougher, man. The Pistons were beating the hell out of him. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He became the legend we know as to uh know him to be today. So I mean like you know you gotta love it, man. Like the fans in their credit, they've been away from the venue so long. You know what I'm saying? Like of course it's gonna be like a little bit uppity in there. So you know um, hopefully the, the Hawks can get it done still nonetheless, re- regardless of the hostile crowd. And, uh, yeah, man, I, again, once again, I can't wait to see how this series unfolds because it looks like one of the more exciting ones uh, that's going on right now. All that matters, Jay, is Mavs Hawks in the NBA Finals. That's all we want to see. But, yeah, we just wanted to, again, take a little moment to talk about our basketball teams because they're doing uh, really, really well. But we're going to talk about what we're going to look for in terms of the offensive side of the team when it comes to training camp. But first, Jay, we have to talk about it. It was mentioned at the very top of the show with Julio Jones. I believe unbeknownst to him was live on FS one undisputed uh, with skip Bayless and, uh, and Shannon sharp and Shannon sharp just straight up asked him, you know, what, uh, what's going on with Atlanta. Do you want to go to the Cowboys? Remember, I think there was a photo floating around of Julio, you know, in the cowboy uh, sweater or a hoodie or something along those lines, t-shirt, something like that. So that was making news, you know, so of course, you know, it took a just straight up shot at the Cowboys. I don't want to go there. I want to, <laughs> I want to win. You know, I'm, 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 I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what he said, but you know, the words, Oh, I'm out of there. Uh, I'm out of there did come out of his mouth. And of course that is sparking a lot of speculation. Now, a lot of people have been talking about, Hey, could the Jags make a run at him? You know, what, what kind of package could they put together to maybe bring him here? Um, but Jay, I wanted to talk to you about this, of course, because the Atlanta Falcons are your second team being from Georgia. And you've had a very, very unique perspective on this as far as the Falcons trading Julio because of their new GM. And, you know, we'll talk about where we think he might end up in a moment. But you think this is just a straight up bad look and a bad idea all around, right? Yeah, man, for Terry Fontenot, who we got familiar with Terry Fontenot, um, an executive from the Saints, because he was, you know, in the running or, you know, reportedly in the running. I think the Jaguars even interviewed him once to become the Jaguars interview or the Jaguars GM, excuse me. So, you know, I was very high on him because of not just, you know, 
not just because he was an African-American getting another chance and deserved it. But when you look at his resume, his resume, you know, with the Saints, they win it franchise is kind of intriguing, you know? So like you, you want, for me, you want people that's been around Sean Payton. You want these people that's been around Drew Brees and all of these, these people that are a part of the Saints organization, even the people in the front office that have done a good job of making that team a consistent winner. We've seen it years and years and years while they may not have going to the Super Bowl, but once, you know, in the in the past, what, decade or so, or won one Super Bowl in the past decade or so, uh, still, nonetheless, they were still perennial winners, still consistent winners. And those are the people you want to have in your front office and get their insight and, you know, want to build the Jaguars up in our case. So, yeah, with Terry Fontenot being a, a minority uh, GM, they already don't get a a, a the, the, the same amount of time that other GMs get. So for you to trade arguably your best player, one of your best players, or however you want to put it, he's definitely top three in that roster, however you want to do it. And to trade a Hall of Fame, eventual Hall of Fame wide receiver, in my opinion, is just not smart. Uh, I mean, I know Calvin Ridley's there. You know, I, I know they got Kyle Pitts. But again, going back to what I was saying about Kyle Pitts in the past, you shouldn't expect them to have a good season in his first year as a, a rookie tight end. Rookie tight ends just don't look all that great in their first seasons. Uh, so, you know, you you got to wonder, like, how much of an impact he can have. So, I mean, he's not really, you know, Fontenot, in my in my opinion, is not doing himself, uh, himself any favors in terms of making his uh, stay there in terms of longevity and, and being there for the long haul, he's not doing himself any favors in that, in that regard in terms of trading Julio Jones. Now, look, uh, it could be deeper than that. You know what I'm saying? Like we could be looking at a situation where Julio Jones has long wanted out before Fontenot was even there. Right. Um, and the way, if you listen to that interview that you were talking about, Phil, with, with Shannon Sharp, the way he said, Oh, I'm out of there with such ease. For one, it sounds like he didn't care if he was on air. And for two, it sounds like that has been building up for a while. That's the two things I took from that. So it might be deeper than Fontenot. Like Julio Jones' mind could have been made up that he wants to leave Atlanta before Fontenot got there. So that's something to be mindful of there. But if it was repairable and Fontenot is just straight up not trying to repair it, then that's an issue in itself. But Look, man, you know, they're in a situation where, you know, they they could use a little bit of cap relief. But, you know, like, I don't really buy that stuff. Me and you don't, well, I, I can't speak for you, but like we've already said the cap is fake. You know, it's moldable, it's mendable. So like that don't really like, that don't cut it for me in terms of like letting them go. But uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, like it can also be a, a little bit of Julio also wanted to uh, go to, you know, at 32 years of age, sometimes you just make your mind up and you want to go to a place where, you know you have a stronger chance to win than with Atlanta, you know, which we've heard PFT say, you know, he he's, according to them, according to Chris Sims, he's eyeing like the Patriots. And it was one more like very, very strong content. Uh, I think it was the Titans that he's, he's eyeing as well. So at his age, he's probably looking to uh, win. to to find where, yeah, to win because, you know, he, he might see it at the time as ticking type of a deal. And the interesting thing about this, Jay, that also is confusing me is Atlanta was in the position to take their quarterback of the future, and they didn't do it. They went with Kyle Pitts, as you just mentioned, which indicates to me that they're ready to make another run at this. So it's confusing to me as to why you would break up 
the Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones tandem, and then also add in Kyle Pitts. And we've been very vocal, just like you said, you know, about tempering expectations of, of a rookie tight end, even if it is Kyle Pitts. But having Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst, who is also produced, can only help Kyle Pitts. So what's really the point of getting rid of him? Again, unless, like you said, there's been something that has kind of been boiling underneath that we didn't know about until just very, very recently. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I did. Now that you mentioned it, I did recently read, I think it was on Bleacher Report, but they were reporting it from another source. That might have been pro football talk as well, or it might have been the athletic. I can't remember exactly. But I do remember reading recently, it might have been today, that Julio is, um, at least according to this report now, nobody go running with this, but according to this report, Julio didn't really like how the contract negotiations went for his new contract which, you know, fittingly enough is causing a little bit of issues now because like that's that's the hold up, you know, or that's the that's the big hurdle that they have to get over to even trade them to. It's like who want who can afford that contract, who can ingest it? Uh, and that's why I guess, you know, that kind of segues way into the point you were mentioning. That's why the Jags are getting mentioned in the equation because they lead the league in salary cap still, uh, despite, you know, what they spent. I think they spent a decent amount of money in, in, in free agency while. They did do that. They didn't necessarily get any big names. And a lot of their contracts from what we can recall on our cap show, a lot of those cap hits from, you know, the guys they added, uh, Shaquille Griffin and so on and so forth. A lot of those contracts have low cap hits this year. So the Jacksonville Jaguars have like 39 million, I think it is, or it was 29 million or 39 million, but it leads the league in salary cap. And, you know, that's how you get caught up in the situation. Uh, where people were throwing the Jags name out there, although Julio does want to be with a winner. One more thing, you know, we wrote about it. Tyler wrote about it. Shout outs to him. It was the ESPN article saying a uh, second rounder and LaVisca Chenault for Julio. Uh, my thoughts on that or a trade like that is no, because like the age discrepancy. Absolutely okay, not. We're, we're training a 21, 22 year old young man for a 32 year old young man. And just to just to sum it up and make it simple and, and just wrap this up. I would say this. The trade to get Julio Jones is for a team that's ready to contend or a team that's close to being a Super Bowl winner. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars are not that team. You know, they get Julio and they still might not make the playoffs. So in that regard, like you just gave up a 22-year-old young man who's ascending that could get better. And we've only, we haven't seen his best days. You gave him up for uh, a, a Julio Jones who might be in the league two or three more years at the most. Like, so from that uh, perspective, it doesn't really make sense to me. I had not real. I had not heard of that <laughs> trade uh, proposition. Yeah, I I don't like it whatsoever. Of course, if, if you guys have been listening to the show for any amount of time, you know that we are big Lavisca Chenault fans. So no, I definitely wouldn't do that. I again, just like you kind of laid it out right there, Julio, acquiring Julio Jones means that you are a Julio Jones away from winning a Super Bowl. The Jags are not that. Now I will say one thing: I damn sure hope he doesn't go to the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> I definitely. Don't want to see that. And I don't know if you've seen Jay. AJ Brown is campaigning hard for Julio Jones to come to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, him and uh, I thought I saw King Henry yeah. also, uh, or Derrick Henry throw something out there as well. Uh, Jacksonville's own, you know, the the Yuli Bulldozer. Uh, was that what he was called right. in high school? But yeah, man, like, yeah, I don't want to see that now. It's of the teams that's been mentioned, not necessarily by us, but the teams that's been mentioned. 
The Colts have also come up in that conversation as well. And you can't, you can never rule out that front office. Me and you have spoke highly of that front office and Frank, right? You can never rule them out. But I don't think that's happening because, again, going back to what we're saying, it sounds like Julio wants to go to somewhere where he knows he can probably be in the Super Bowl upon that trade. And, you know, with, with the Colts, the difference with the Colts is while they're good, they have a question mark at quarterback. Nobody knows what the hell Carson Wentz is going to be. You know, that's a big question mark there. So, like, if you're Julio, you're looking at that situation like, uh, do I want to go with Carson Wentz or do I want to go with a guy like Ryan Tannehill who has established himself in that system and looks good in that system? Or do I want to go with a guy named, uh, like Cam Newton who has played in the Super Bowl who really was, you know, still kind of pretty good in terms of you looking at the Patriots record last year. They were like 500 or something. They weren't like that far off from being the team we've seen of old. Yeah, it, it was when he got COVID, it just threw him off the rest of the year. I think right. he's going to be much better. Right, exactly. He gets a full offseason too, you know, to work with the, uh, the Patriots and so on and so forth. So it, it's a much better teams out there. Unfortunately, the Titans are one than the Colts. We'll see. Uh, I, I just really ain't feeling that whole aspect of having to deal with Julio Jones uh, in the AFC South, though. And, you know, I really I'm really not trying to see him go to the Titans because, as I, I've always said, I think the Jaguars, the big hurdle for them against the Titans has been uh, they just haven't had the quarterback play. Now we have the quarterback play. And I think we can actually beat the Titans at least once or maybe even twice this year. But if Julio gets into the mix, then that's a whole nother ball game, you know, is I don't, I don't know how we could beat them at that point. You know, that's just a lot to deal with, but time will tell and uh, we'll see where he goes. Selfishly, just as a fan, I would like to see him in Baltimore. Um, again, a really, really strong front office and a team where, you know, defenders are going to be stacking the box against them. So what better place for Julio to go than with a, you know, pair up with Lamar Jackson, who's really good at, um, you know, creating plays. One thing, I'm just going to throw this out here, Jay. I haven't heard anybody name this team. And again, it'd be, he wants to win. It would have to be paired with another move. What if Aaron, what about Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones to Denver? Go get weird, Denver. You know what? Let's go, go, go on a little bit of a run, just like you did at the end of Peyton Manning's career. Go get Aaron Rodgers, go get Julio Jones, and go do it all over again and win a Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I haven't heard that one either. That's interesting, you know, getting Rodgers and Julio at the same time. I mean, you, you, you'll be ingesting two guys over the age of 32, but at the same time, like, with that, what they already have, you know, they got Judy over there to pair him with, and, you know, that, and, and then um, Noah Fant, you know, from last time I checked, it seemed like he was getting steadily better as a tight end, too. So, like, they got some pieces, and then um, it's one more receiver I'm missing. Uh, Hamler? Yeah. I assume in order to make it happen, it would take one of those young receivers and then a draft pick. So you probably ship one of them and then you trade whatever you need to trade for Aaron Rodgers. You know, I'm yeah. again, I just wanted to get weird and, and see, maybe I'll try it out on Madden and we'll give it a shot. And uh, <laughs> the dark horse I've had is the chargers who they yeah. have been mentioned in association with him. Um, just how Justin Herbert has looked, you know, as a rookie, and, uh, you know, he pairing him with, like, Keenan Allen. And they, so they got, got five all new offensive linemen to protect them, too. Like, they're doing the opposite of the, of the Bengals. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, look, to the Bengals' credit, they, they upgraded that line, too. You know, I want to – they got um, 
They got uh, what's his name from the Vikings to play right tackle. The veteran, his name is escaping me right now, but he's a pretty pretty good veteran. Um, so I mean, like they they did enough too. Like that game's gonna be interesting. By the way, when we play them, the Bengals and and the Jags, I think it's gonna be more interesting than people might think it is. So we'll see though. Yeah, that's one of the games we highlighted a couple of weeks ago when we had my other co-host Eric on. So if you guys haven't checked out that episode, we broke down the entire. 2021 schedule for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But Jay, that being said, you know, of course we had to give some attention to this Julio news. Uh, Everybody has been talking about it. So, you know, we had to chime in on it as well, but we want to look ahead uh, a little bit to training camp and Jay, you've had, you've compiled a little bit of a list here as far as what you're going to be looking for when training camp does come around and we're going to be doing offense and defense Uh, defense will be in another episode. So we're just doing five takeaways to look for, on offense and I'm excited to hear what you have to say and uh, essentially it just covers each of the different position groups of course quarterback running back receiver tight end and offensive line so you know let's start off with our shiny new quarterback just from checking him out on social media it seems like Trevor's getting nice and him and his wife are getting nice and settled in as as being the new saviors of Duval County so Jay you know what things are you going to be looking at as far as quarterback because you know there is another quarterback on the roster where people are wondering how long is that guy going to be around? And I think that's maybe one of your first takeaways. Yeah, man. Like, and hopefully, you know, we don't know, but like, hopefully you mentioned it earlier, fans will be able to attend, uh, but hopefully man, you'll be able to cover it from a journalist perspective. But if not, you know, we might can go as fans, but uh, we'll, you know, that's a time will tell type thing, but yeah, man, like, yeah, that quarterback situation is going to be interesting because like, is Minshew still on the team is my big question at that point. Um, and if he is, does he have the slightest of a chance to start? I would say no, because when you take a guy first overall and, you know, you just love Trevor Lawrence, like Urban Meyer loves Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it's just hard to see Minshew starting at that point. But Urban Meyer has mentioned that he did learn from Alex Smith that, you know, Alex Smith probably shouldn't have been thrown in the furnace as soon as he was. And that was one of his notes that he took away when he was not in the NFL game. He took that note in, he ingested it. And, you know, he wondered what Alex Smith's career could have been had he not gotten thrown into the fire so soon. So that's just something to mention there and and be mindful of. But, yeah, like, I think, you know, at this point, like, it's possible Minshew might be on the roster. We'll see. uh, Or we'll see if he gets traded towards, you know, final cuts or whatever the case may be. Somebody might need a backup quarterback. But that, that was one of the takeaways in terms of the quarterback. Um, I'm also curious as to if they are on the same team together and Minshew is not traded, right? How much of a discrepancy in play can we see as fans and as journalists, right? Uh, Does Trevor Lawrence come here and just blows Minshew out of the water and show us that like, we really haven't had a legit quarterback in this building or in this, uh, in that city uh, for a long, long time, or is it close? You know what I'm saying? Is it close because of, you know, Lawrence still being able to or or Lawrence still learning the game and so on and so forth. Uh, we'll see. Because the thing about it is Lawrence can physically make throws that Minshew can't. And that's going to be where Minshew has to make up ground on him. If it's even thought to be a competition, again, I don't think it's going to be a competition. But if Minshew is going to have any chance of seeing the field for the Jacksonville Jaguars as a starter week one, he's going to have to show or make up for that discrepancy somehow, some way that, you know, the arm talent that Trevor Lawrence has is far superior. So I'm going to be watching to see like how they look in comparison to each other. 
it's it's very possible it may not be pretty for Gardner Minshew. We'll see. Uh, you know, some other guys we we can name that we kind of you know got on the roster. C.J. Bathard and um, also Jake Luton as well. You know, how do they look at the bottom of the depth chart? You know, does Jake Luton still look like a practice squad quarterback, or does he look like he's improved? You know, did that play time he got last year help him improve as a player? We'll see. Uh, we also, you know, we'll have to watch and see if Minshew's on the roster, does this team keep three quarterbacks going into the regular season? Because, you know, as we've seen, the numbers get crunched and you have to save spots where you can. And sometimes you can't go into the season with three quarterbacks. Uh, but we'll see, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if the Jaguars can squeeze three quarterbacks on this roster, uh, they're going to have to make a cut somewhere else down the road at an important position. So those are the things I'll be looking at in terms of that quarterback position as a whole. Very excited to see Trevor Lawrence and uh, very excited for the fans to see him as well because uh, he could be very, very special for this team. I'm trying to remember, Jay, the last time this franchise had a quarterback, if ever, that you watched and you said, wow, our guy is one of the only guys in the league that can do that. Probably not since Mark Brunel, you know, was a left-handed quarterback. This franchise has been without that type of player at the position for over 20 years, which is just baffling to me. So I think it'll be really great to see. And, and again, I do believe that we are going to see this discrepancy between the play types of, of, and the decision-making and just the poise of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. You know, not to take anything away from what Gardner Minshew did. He was very, very successful in college. And then, of course, you know, had his early success here. But I think it's going to be night and day, and I'm really excited for everybody to see it. I, I ultimately do not think that Minshew will be on the roster. I think he'll be part of a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a purge. Um, I don't think he's going to be just straight up cut. I think they are going to deal him uh, for a late round pick to somebody who needs, you know, just some kind of stable quarterback play. Um, due to injury that we usually see in the preseason or something along those lines. So I don't expect him to be on the roster, but I mean, I'm not, I'm also not upset if he is, you know? Yeah. That, that's an interesting take, you know, whether, you know, how to take him being on the roster, because when I was on the TC3 podcast, like one thing they brought up and one thing I've, you know, people have hinted at too. I heard this on the bold city take most recently when pre, uh, Pete Prisco went on there. And Pete was saying, if you just read the atmosphere, you have to wonder how many people in that locker room like Gardner Minshew. He went to this play in particular, and I'm talking about Pete, where he said Minshew scored. I don't know which play this was. I have to go back in time and look back at this. Minshew scored on a play. Nobody goes over there to congratulate him. You know what I'm saying? For throwing this touchdown or this touchdown pass, whatever the case may be. Or he might have ran to play in himself for a touchdown. Nobody was there to congratulate him. That's telling. That's telling his stuff. And I'm surprised, like, it went, you know, as observant as I am. He's a team captain. Right. Too. As observant as I am, I'm surprised I missed that. That's why I said I'll have to go back and see it. But that's that's a telling thing when, like you said, a team captain, uh, your quarterback goes out there and, you know, nobody's really feeling it like that. You know, like, that's the first guy. Either he's the first guy to congratulate the guy that, uh, that made the touchdown or he's the first guy. Uh, that people are dapping up or whatever the case may be after the touchdown play is made. But that was weird in itself. And then, I mean, like, you know, like that's not surprising at the same time because we've seen and we've had these discussions. We've seen DJ Chark's energy towards Gardner Minshew's play. 
and it hasn't been all that accepting. You know what I'm saying? You can see the disappointment. You can see the disgust. You can see that in uh, the receiver's face, you know, when Gardner Minshew didn't make the plays that needed to be uh, made or that were available to be made or so on and so forth. Um, and, and not to mention, like, you know, like, it's, it's just questionable. Me and you question this when it happened. It's questionable to go out there with a jacked up hand, the limb that you have to throw the football with and try and perform. And you're hurting your team at that point. If you have no hand, you can't perform and throw the football as a quarterback. You're not a help to the team at that point. You know, Jake Luton, who has a healthier hand, has a better chance uh, to help the team succeed or whoever the case may be. Um, Mike Glennon, you know, whoever we had out there. So, you know, that's a questionable decision. So, like, all, I said all of that to say this, man, do we even want? And I, I'm, I'm not questioning Gardner Minshew personally, but just all these things that we've seen. Do we want Gardner Minshew in the same locker room as Trevor Lawrence? Is the energy going to be bad there? Because I don't want no negative energy around my franchise quarterback, if that's what it's going to be, me personally. Um, but we'll see. Uh, and, and look, we might, like all of the stuff we got going on, we might be on hard knocks, so we might get to witness it on TV. <laughs> like, you will see how the energy is going, maybe. We'll see. Does he Gardner Minshew cut on HBO Max? <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> the discussion of if Tim Tebow is going to stick to the 53-man roster or whatever the case may be, man, like... It's it could be nuts, uh, but that's another story for another time. But yeah, I mean, like that's something to think about right there, Phil. I don't know how you feel on that matter. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I had not heard that story, so I'm I'm really glad that she would pick it up. And again, I'm surprised we missed it. So we'll have to go back and and find that instance. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot between you, me and um, and Boogie. Uh, we, we see. We're seeing the energy in the building uh, being a whole lot different, a whole lot more positive. And we're seeing these guys hanging out. We're seeing LaVisca hanging out with Terry Godwin and DJ Chark and Colin Johnson. You know, even though Colin Johnson isn't around as, as much, you know, he's got, uh, of course, his own family too. But they're still hanging out. They're playing basketball. Caleb on chase on. I mean, we, we just talked about this recently. Josh Allen and Logan Cook are going hunting like you know who we haven't seen? Gardner Minshew. <laughs> we haven't seen Gardner Minshew or CJ Henderson. And these are two guys that have been brought up a lot this offseason within the fan base as we're talking about, are they going to be on this team? Where the hell have they been? And why haven't it, why hasn't anyone been talking about them? You know, I mean, we're talking about a guy who was the ninth pick in the draft last year. We haven't heard anything about CJ Henderson. Now, one thing I do want to say about CJ and, um, that, they, that it was a positive story that came up lately was him giving to his high school. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Uh, but he gave a generous donation to his high school to, um, you know, help out with that situation. And then it was another story we did where he, uh, he recently got his degree. Uh, but yeah, like you, like you said, his absence is kind of alarming, but at the same time, like, at least like we seeing CJ do like productive stuff with his time yeah. away from the team. You know what I'm saying? Like with Minshew, like we just, we just left wondering, man, like what's, what's really He's out there on? getting haircuts and driving around an RV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's an interesting situation, man, to say the least, man. Like I said, man, like I would pay good money to even like maybe even have Gardner on, on this show so we can like kind of read the energy ourselves and investigate ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just an interesting situation. And like, you know, my, my antennas are definitely up after, you know, just kind of piecing everything together. Well, naturally, we took a lot of time to talk about quarterbacks. Let's give some of the other position groups a little bit of a shine here, Jay. And let's take a look at the running backs. Now, of course, 
you know, the other first round pick we had was spent on Travis Etienne, and there was a whole lot of um, uh, wonder on how the team is going to use him, how he's going to be used in this offense. We already know Urban's history with players uh, such as Percy Harvin, uh, Curtis Samuel, guys like that. And then, you know, there were there's report, reports that Travis Etienne was taking a lot of uh, reps at the wide receiver position. So, you know, when it comes to the running back, of course, we have James Robinson returning off of a stellar rookie campaign. And then now he's got, you know, a couple new running mates, you know, one in Carlos Hyde. And then, of course, the first round pick, Travis Etienne. You know, when you look at polar opposites in terms of their uh, their draft stories, James Robinson, Travis Etienne could not be more different. So how do you think, you know, this is going to play out in terms of the running back room? Yeah, that, that's one of my takeaways is, uh, you know, like how how is Travis Etienne ranked on the running back depth chart? Uh because they have said he's going to be a slash player. We all heard that term before, slash. That's basically a multi-purpose offensive skill position weapon. In other words, this young man can play running back, receiver, and pretty much any skill position on the offensive side. He probably can even do kick returns and punt returns. So that's how they view him as a, a slash guy. Um, but I do think, like, in the end, what we'll just end up seeing is – ETN will be like your third down running back. I've said this before. He'll be your third down running back. Um, I do believe Urban Meyer has genuine interest in keeping James Robinson at the number one position, um, Hyde uh, behind him as the the number two hammer behind him. And then, uh, you know, ETN comes on the field on third down because he gives you speed as well. And he gives you the ability um, as a pass catcher as well, because he's, you know, that's an aspect of his game where he's improved year by year. So I think that's what you'll see. And you also see a lot of Travis Etienne within the receiving core as well. Uh, so, you know, like, I don't know where I would rank him in terms of a, as a receiver on the receiver depth chart, but I do think like he'll get plenty of usage. And at the same time, I, I do think he won't cut into James Robinson's usage that much, uh, but we'll see a decrease a little bit. Uh, but look, that's okay because James Robinson, as we saw, didn't finish the season because he was heavily utilized. I think it was a high ankle sprain he got week 13. But, um, you know, James Robinson needs a decline in snaps if we want him to last and be the effective player that he can be. And that's okay. Uh, but the, the question is, who alleviates the pressure off him the most? Who takes a percentage or the biggest percentage of his snaps or who cuts into his percentage of snaps the most? Is it Carlos Hyde, as you said? Is it Travis Etienne? Uh, time will tell. Yeah, and in the moment, you know, that was just one of the most concerning things whenever the pick was made is, you know, I'm such a James Robinson fan because of, you know, his story and how well he played and earning his spot. And, you know, I, I, I can admit it, a lot of that had to do with him replacing Leonard Fournette, who I think, you know, left a little bit of a sour taste in our mouth on his way out as far as him being, you know, a top five pick and then not necessarily panning out. But look at him now. He's he's Lombardi Lenny. Good for him, you know, out there, out there thriving. So um, but yeah, it's it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, and then, you know, once I finally sat back and let the emotions of it as a fan just kind of uh, damper down a little bit, you know, you, you get the understanding that they are going to be used differently. Um, but also whenever you have a new regime come in, you wonder where those players stand, you know, specifically with a guy that you're uh, you're a really big fan of in James Robinson. So, yeah, definitely going to be a lot to to take out there. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm also excited to see, you know, um, I'm not, I can't remember if you just mentioned this or not, like to see if there are any opportunity or any instances and in where they're both on the field at the same time 
And you know what kind of unique play calling they can do with that. Yeah, yeah, I did mention it. And yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, with how um, Urban Meyer's mind works, if you were to put yourself in Urban Meyer's shoes, that's why, like, I wasn't too, too upset with the addition of Travis Etienne. The first thing that came to my mind is like, this man wanted to put Etienne and James Robinson on the field together. You know, and I, I mean, I mean, looking at Urban Meyer's past, there have been times when he, when he's had too heavy hitter or too highly productive or, or should I say too very skilled running backs. Me and you talked about that when Travis Etienne was drafted. Uh, Jeff Drisk, uh, uh, Jeff Demps, and it was another guy that was like a track star that had super ridiculous speed that he had a one-two punch with as well. And then, you know, we've seen how he's used Percy Harvin, which you mentioned in the past so yeah I, I think they'll see the field a decent amount of time together and um you know that's good for both of them because I mean like what you want to do anyway as an offensive coordinator is you want to throw as many skilled guys on the field that can get open as possible for the defense and just make it impossible for them to cover you or whatever the case may be so I mean I, I like that aspect we'll see how much they are utilized together like I'll definitely be taking notes of you know the kind of formations they try and do with that and and so on and so forth now look it's going to be the preseason. They'll probably hide it. They won't show us uh, a tra uh, Travis Etienne and, and James Robinson uh, formation where they're in a formation together. They probably won't show us that often, if at all. We might not see that to the regular season, which is smart, actually. Uh, but, you know, it, when we do see it, my antennas are going to be up. You know, if we do see it in the preseason, I'll definitely be taking note of that. Well, let's move into one of the more crowded rooms here, Jay, on the team. And that, of course, is going to be wide receiver. I mean, they are stacked this position. I bring it up a lot, but I can tell you, it's really hard to manage on Madden trying to get the ball around to all of these different wide receivers. You know, of course, they bring in Marvin Jones. They bring in Philip Dorsett. Uh, Jamal Agnew, who, of course, is going to be more of a special teams guy. And then you throw Jalen Camp in there, who maybe end up being a practice squad guy in the long run, uh, at least in the intermediate. But, I mean, you bring back, of course, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, and then Colin Johnson, and then add it in to all the other guys that are in here. So what are you going to be looking for as far as, you know, how the how things stack up with the wide receivers? Yeah, I'm going to be looking at the top four spots in the depth chart for me. Um, and see, because I, I can pretty much put together how the back of the receiver depth chart is going to be, and it's going to be Agnew and Dorsett. I feel like Urban Meyer brought them two in from free agency for a reason. Those are your number five and number six receivers. Those are your guys that also can return and, and um, can do returns for punts and kicks. That'll be their primary job, CNT uh, action on special teams. But those top four guys, Visca Chenault, DJ Chark, Colin Johnson, and Marvin Jones. How are they placed on the field together? What kind of formations they put these guys in? You know, who's the X? Who's whatever the case may be, you know? So I, I think with Chark, you know, and this is a key element to his game, Chark can look vastly improved because he's put on more weight. And I don't know if that was because, you know, Urban Meyer went and looked at the film last year and saw he kind of got beat up last year. You know, we know he missed a few games and one of them was a very important game was the primetime game against the Miami Dolphins. So he missed some games, but he's put on 10 pounds of weight. And, you know, a bigger DJ Chark is definitely intriguing to me because he was already so fast to the point where I don't think he's going to lose that much speed. So you still have to feel like DJ Chark of all of these guys is probably the guy that could put up the most amount of yardage. Uh, Marvin Jones is the guy that he's the savvy veteran 
that I think Marvin Jones could, if you're basing the, basing this off of what we saw in um, in Detroit, Marvin Jones could be your guy that sees a majority of the touchdown passes. His stats might not, you know, be super crazy, maybe 700, 800 yards, maybe less. But, you know, he could be a guy that could give you over five touchdowns or whatever the case may be. Uh, Chanel, I think Chanel will be settled in more on a role on the perimeter instead of a gadget guy. Because, I mean, let's let's put two and two together. ETN is the gadget guy. That means they probably want to see more of Chanel on the perimeter, on the outside as a receiver instead of moved around or at running back. Now, he can do that if needed. If ETN, you know, has an injury and you want another gadget guy, you know, Chenault's proven he can do it. Uh, but I think they have a niche for him, Chenault, as a receiver now. And that'll be interesting to see what Sanjay Lau, who is the receivers coach, do with him. And then Colin Johnson is kind of the wild card. But Colin Johnson, again, kind of I see him kind of in the same light as Marvin Jones in terms of a red zone threat. I see him as a guy that Trevor Lawrence, you throw the ball anywhere in his vicinity, uh, he's going to catch it. So I think he'll be a guy that, again, like you don't see this ridiculous amount of receiving yards, but you'll see a lot of red zone targets with him and a lot of, uh, you know, end zone grabs and back shoulder fades and that kind of stuff with him has such a, a massive wide catch radius. So, I mean, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds because they are super deep there. Um, not necessarily, they don't necessarily, and this again, why the Julio conversation comes up. They don't necessarily have Julio Jones or a number one like that there, uh, but they do have a lot of serviceable guys and respectable guys that'll command respect, especially when on the field together. Well, there would definitely be no shortage of targets in terms of the wide receiver position, Jay. Now, as far as the next position group, you know, some things are kind of still up in the air to say the least. It's It'll be an interesting uh, position to watch. And of course, that's going to be tight end. Now, as we know, in the last week, the Jaguars officially brought on Tim Tebow to give it a shot as far as him being a, a tight end in the NFL. You know, some say it's a little bit too late, but regardless, it's happened. And now we are just going to go about our business as, um, you know, as all as uh, as best that we can. So, you know, what are you going to be looking for in training camp, Jay, when it comes to this tight end group? And, you know, who are you expecting to maybe establish themselves as far as that go-to guy, as far as the pass-catching tight end goes for this team. So, yeah, with uh, the tight end position, I guess we'll start with Tebow. Uh, You know, with him not playing any tight end until, like, in in terms of a professional level, I think he played tight end in high school. But uh, since entering the NFL, you would have to think, you know, with this being his first shot at tight end, that, you know, his chances at best to make this team would be as a tight end three or four. Um, I don't even know if teams really carry tight end fours like that, but three to four, if he can do that. Um, but if it, everybody remotely looks like a tight end and look like they're supposed to, that's on its team. Uh, it's kind of like the, the number I put it at was like 35% chance for Tebow to make this team. If everybody else looks like they're supposed to, but you never know it's, it is urban Meyer. So we'll see. Uh, but you know, James O'Shaughnessy's uh J- James O'Shack Hennessy is how I put it is uh <laughs> he's definitely the most experienced tight end on his roster and uh he spent the most time with uh you know the quarterbacks on his roster aside from Trevor Lawrence so I guess that won't matter because the starter is a guy he hasn't spent a lot of time with but you know he has the most experience we'll see if you know he looks that way 
in, in training camp, but even at his best, you know, we're looking at a tight end, you know, on a regular team that actually has a decent group of tight ends. We're looking at a tight end three or four, you know, when James O'Shaughnessy, but for us, he might be a one. So he's the guy like you can watch because of experience or you should watch for experience. The dark horse should be uh, Chris Manners, man. He doesn't have a lot of uh, a huge body of work of catches to his resume, and he's viewed more as a blocking tight end. But what if the Jazz brought him in because they see some um, tapped athleticism that he could bring to the table? You know, like that's the part that people might be missing here. Maybe the Jazz didn't bring Man Hurts in to be a blocking guy. Maybe they did as well, but we'll see. Maybe they think like it's some untapped potential there as a pass catcher. And again, like it's also possible that the tight end number one uh, for this team is not currently on the roster, right? You know, Zach Ertz could be a guy that, you know, they've thrown out there. You know, I'm not the highest on him, but, you know, they thrown out there that he could be cut at that June 2nd deadline, I think it is, where, you know, you can cut players and kind of split their salary up or whatever the case may be. So watch out for him. Uh, I know that Tom Gamble has a connection with him in a sense that Tom Gamble was in the Eagles front office when they drafted Ertz. Now they fired Tom Gamble as well. So I don't know how much he really liked it there or whatever the case may be, but that's something to be mindful of as well. Uh, don't rule out a trade as well. You know, um, maybe uh, uh, me and you have discussed this, uh, Evan Ingram or somebody may become available for a decent price, whatever the case may be. And lastly, and certainly not uh, least uh, with the Jaguars, being number one in the waiver wire when final cuts come in maybe they find a guy through the waiver wire not saying he'll be a number one but you know a, a decent respectable guy at tight end from the waiver wire because they'll have the top priority but they'll be the number one team from that regard so uh, we'll see a lot of time from now to for them to add more help there and a lot of time for the guys that's on the roster to establish themselves yeah, let me ask you about that as far as the Evan Ingram thing goes, Jay, because, you know, there were some rumblings about that over the last few days. Is there, is there any credence to that? Is it just something they've kind of been kicking the tires on, or is it just really kind of one of those rumors that comes up, you know, every offseason that really doesn't have uh, any, type of, um, any type of legitimacy to it? Yeah, I haven't personally heard of anything on that end. I'll probably dig further into it this week. That was one of the things I put on my list to look into, like, later in the week. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does kind of make sense from a sense that like, you know, Balky kind of has this past with kind of rather athletic tight ends, if you will. Like, I think Vernon Davis was there, you know, with the 49ers when Balky was there, if I could recall, if my timeline fits right. Uh, so, I mean, like, you know, maybe, you know, they do look for somebody along the lines of him again, you know, me and you discussed him in the past. He's a guy I'm a little concerned about in terms of the hands, but I mean, definitely probably better than anybody that's on the roster right now. I think he put up, what, 600, 700 yards last year for the Giants. So, I mean, look, he's definitely a respectable uh, addition to put there. Again, you know, just the hands are inconsistent. Like, can they uh, fix that or whatever the case may be? You know, we'll see. If they do feel they can fix that, maybe they make the trade for him. I mean, I think at best they should give up a, a fourth if they do it, fourth to fifth sixth seventh round or fourth or less basically and even a fourth kind of feels like a bit too much personally for me but yeah. i can live with that you know but we'll see and then of course while we are on just the subject of the tebow thing that we do have uh you did have the article that won up earlier today here jay 
um, where, you know, Trevor Lawrence had been asked about Tim Tebow. Uh, have you heard anything about as, as far as how he's looked and how he's adapting to the position? You know, of course, Trevor Lawrence already sounding presidential in this interview he did with Yahoo Sports saying all the right things about Tim. So have you heard anything about how he's progressing and, and you know, adjusting to the new position? Yeah, I haven't really heard anything. And you probably won't hear much either. Like the players aren't going to say much. And I'm not saying because they're, they want to be secretive. That's part of it too. But, you know, like they're kind of, while they are ramping up the OTA stages right now, they're kind of like in the early process of installs. So like right now it's about like fundamentals and, you know, that kind of stuff right now. But I mean, I think like the time to really try and dig and find out how Tebow looks and they have said he looks to be in great shape. That's what this is more so about. Like OTAs, is, are you in good shape? Getting the fundamentals down, this, that, and the other. Um, and by the way, Tebow was invited to the tight end university summit. I don't there know if you saw that. <laughs> so he yep. gets to go, <laughs> go learn some things from Travis Kelsey. If he accepts the invitation, he definitely should as a new tight end to the league. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the, the time to more so dig and find out like what Tebow truly looks like maybe you know in in mandatory mini camp and in in training camp as well because that's when you get to find out uh what these guys are made of in terms of you know are they getting it are they getting it and and so on and so forth well let's move into the last position group here that we're going to be talking about for this episode jane of course that's going to be the offensive line and i know you know there are some new names on the offensive line that of course that have been brought in and then also including a couple of the names that were brought in last year. So, you know, when it comes down to this offensive line group, are you expecting to see any changes or what are you going to be looking for in terms of uh, some new names, maybe pushing some of the older names? Yeah. The two names that pop up that even have a remote chance. And I, I think we're probably going to be looking at the same offensive line from last year, uh, bearing injury, but the two guys that could crack the lineup, maybe, uh, well, the number one guy that could crack the lineup definitely could be Ben Barch. And that's because, you know, Ben Barch is a guy, he's got a year on his belt. You know, we've all, you know, AJ can is a guy that, you know, he looked way better than he has in the past last year. Uh, but at the same time, like with the right off season, uh, that doesn't mean that Ben Barch can't overtake him, you know, especially with his abilities and the athleticism. We're talking about a former tight end here, and maybe if you put in the work in the offseason, he makes a significant jump, and he he makes the Jaguars look at that position and say, hey, we might have an upgrade here at, at right guard if we put Barchi in. So he's number one guy, and even on a lesser scale, the number two guy that could crack that lineup of the top five guys, which for those who don't know, the top five is Cam Robinson at left tackle, Andrew Norwell at uh, left guard, Brandon Linder at center, AJ can at right guard, Juwan Taylor at right tackle. But going back to what I was saying, uh, the guy that could maybe crack the lineup and is kind of slim, in my opinion, because they're paying Cam Robinson a lot of money. But Walker Little, you know, they drafted him high, second round pick. Some people say he probably should have drafted, been drafted a little later than that. Uh, but obviously the Jaguars saw something in him. They they liked him. Um, and, you know, he was a guy that, you know, Again, going back to what I was saying, you really can't tell a lot in the early stages of OTAs. But when he was at uh, rookie camp, right, one of the things you kept hearing was like, oh, Walker Little looks to part. He looks like a big kid. He, he looks like an NFL left tackle. So he certainly has the size. Um, But again, like what I was saying in the past is if 
Walker Little overtakes Cam Robinson after being that many games, that many years removed from playing college football, then we should maybe be concerned. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just saying, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, you got this kid who has he didn't play football last year. And I think year before last, he only played a, a, a game or two or a, a fraction of a game. So if he comes to take your spot, like, you know, that's telling. And that makes you question, like, did the Jaguars really feel that they were doing the right thing by franchising Cam Robson? You know, if if it's that easy to remove him from the job. But, you know, it's a time will tell type of thing. I think it'll be interesting. I think Cam Robinson hangs on to the job. I think more so Walker Little is the left tackle of the future, meaning he's the left tackle for 2022 and beyond. And he's a good depth piece to have, you know, because Cam Robinson has had a few injuries, uh, to say the least. Yeah, that's actually what I want to ask you about here, Jay. Now, say Cam Robinson, you know, is able to kind of put it together this year. And Jawan Taylor is a guy that, you know, maybe isn't performing up to, you know, the standard that you would like. Is Walker Little a guy that you can slide in on the right side? Or do you think they drafted him specifically to be a left tackle? Yeah, I think he's, to me personally, and I haven't necessarily been the best at offensive line evaluations, but he seems left tackle-ish to me. You know, the feet and the length. And I mean, like, well, you need length at right tackle as well. But, um, you know, you need, you prefer the mauler type over at right tackle, the aggressor, which you can argue that Jawan Taylor really wasn't in, in, um, at Florida. I know a lot of people like to say he was a mauler type and aggressive, but you can argue like he could have definitely been more aggressive at Florida. But um yeah, I think Walker Little strikes me more as a, a left tackle. But I mean you never know. Like they they might see it differently. George Warhop, who is the offensive line coach, might see it as, you know, yeah, this kid can play right tackle. Um but you know it's a time will tell thing. You probably want a superior run blocker there, whatever you do. And I think, like, probably at this stage in his career, considering the fact that Walker Little, like I said, what we, what we just said, he's been away from football kind of for a long period of time. I think at this point in his career that Cam, or excuse me, Jawan Taylor, is definitely uh, more suitable to be the right tackle for the Jaguars this year um, in terms of getting those things done in the, in the run game and, and so on and so forth. But, yeah. To your to your point, Cam. Uh, excuse me, I keep saying Cam. Um, Jawan Taylor has struggled mightily, um, and he struggled mightily last year. He he kind of came into his own at the end of his rookie season, but he struggled mightily last season. But he could look better and much more improved this year because he actually has an off season on the field, and it's not a virtual off season. He gets to be with his teammates and so on and so forth, and that kind of stuff does help a young, young player that's younger than the age of 24. You know what I'm saying? So that could help him significantly to get off on the right foot. Well, listen, Jay, I mean, you know, as well as anybody, they, they've been trying to lock down this left tackle position. It seems since Tony Baselli left, I mean, going back to Eugene Monroe, Luke Jokel, now Cam Robinson, you know, is he going to be the guy or is it Walker Little that's going to be the next man up that they're going to try and figure this position out with? You know, of course, we, we think that the quarterback is in place. We'll see what happens uh, on that left side of the offensive line, but definitely plenty to look forward to in terms of the offensive side of things. There will be no shortage of stories. We're going to do the defense in a later episode and break those, uh, you know, break that down at another time. 
Uh, but Jay, that's pretty much it for this episode. Is there anything else you know that you wanted to to list as a takeaway on the offensive side, or anything you want to talk about as far as what people can look forward to over on the wire, but also here on the podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think I pretty much hit it all in terms of my my notes here in terms of what to look for on offense. Uh, you know how it works with us. Like later down the road, some will pop up in our mind, be like, "Oh, we should have talked about that." Uh, part of uh, looking forward to training camp on the offensive side, but I think I've covered everything in the notes here. Um, in terms of stuff to look forward to on the podcast and the wire, uh, you know, of course, we'll continue to cover the team heading into uh, mandatory mini camp, and they're in phase three of OTAs uh, right now. So we'll continue to cover them throughout that. Some rookies still need to be signed, so we got to watch that. Make sure everybody gets pen to paper. Um, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, um, Walker Little, Tyson Campbell, Andre Cisco have not been signed yet. Hopefully they get those done soon. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be monitoring that, um, trying to manage the Tebow craze, which is <laughs> still an ongoing thing and monitoring how he's doing, um, albeit it's OTAs. And, uh, yeah, in terms of the podcast, you know, like eventually we'll get back to that phase where we're getting guests in. Now we'll get some of those faces you guys have seen in the past that y'all really liked and were received well. But, um, you know, right now we're just uh, we're focusing on, you know, doing the, the one-two punch right now. So uh, stay tuned, though. We'll have plenty, plenty more in the future. That's right, folks. A whole lot to look forward to here on the show. Uh, I will be in California over the next couple of days. So I'm going to try and go check out SoFi Stadium where the Jaguars will be securing a victory later on this year against uh, Jalen Ramsey. So I'll be excited to hopefully check that stadium out in person. Um, I've heard it's uh, pretty, pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, guys, that's pretty much it for this week's episode. We really uh, thank you for uh, you know staying sticking with us through our small hiatus. Um, again, we're going to be back to regular episodes each and every single week going forward for the uh, you know immediate time being. Again, if you are enjoying the show, make sure you check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Again, you can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Again, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Tweet the show and follow us on Instagram at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And of course, you can find Jay at SportsGrind underscore Don. Once again, we are presented by Ben Online. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to believe in the Jaguars, but more importantly, believe in yourselves. We will see you next time, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.